The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Oh, what a blessing. So thank you for that, uh, that very, very positive and very optimistic sounding introduction, but uh, it doesn't come without lots of mistakes. So uh, today, if I was going to share with you all the mistakes we made, it would, uh, it would take a little bit longer than the 30 minutes we have before us. It would be more like 30 hours. But, uh, uh, you know, listen, God teaches us through our mistakes. And, and, and many times, uh, you know, we, we, we well-meaning people and we, we try hard. We, we really, in all sincerity, try to do what's best. But then we look back and think, wow, we really didn't do that very well. So we began um, our ministry uh, in 1990 as church planters. And uh, we started in a, in a small town in a, in a state of the U.S. called Vermont. And we found out later on that Vermont was regarded as, by Gallup Poll, as the least spiritual, as far as by Christianity, the least spiritual state. And I thought, no wonder it was so hard. <laughs> but one of the things that we did not do very well is uh, uh, we did not understand church planting very well. And of course, we were just young, you know, we didn't have much education. Uh, but but it's, it's a little bit more about some things that I think we could have done differently. But one of those is that we were really good copycats. We watched what other church planters were doing, whether they were doing well or failing. And most of the ones we knew of were really struggling. The only ones at that time that were really thriving were the, uh, the ones that were dealing with um, displaced peoples. For example, Brazilians. Uh, there was a Brazilian congregation just exploding in growth. But most of our, our white American sort of traditional uh, church planters were just really struggling to, to have any more than just a dozen or 15 people in their little congregations, and we struggled in the same way. Another mistake uh, that I think we made uh, is that we were trying to make good church members, and, and I'll explain a little bit later why I say that's a bit of a mistake, but our focus was on trying to help them become really good church members. Um, uh, you know, we, we were working on building the church, helping the church to, to grow. We were, we were really putting a lot of emphasis in the, uh, we didn't have a physical uh, plant like you do here. And I understand you're going to be going through some changes and transitions soon. But what, what we always had was a rented space. But we put so much emphasis on, on the program and the Sunday morning and, the, and, and getting everything lined up that we were, we were actually missing some other things. Another thing we did not do very well is we were not very good examples of witness, okay? We were what I would call virtual witnesses. Virtual meaning we talked about it, we read about it, we told people about it, you ought to, we ought to, let's go, but we never really did it. We didn't model it. And one thing that really impresses me about your pastor uh, and, and he and Mark have been spending time out in the streets talking to people. That is unusual for pastors in London. I don't come across many that model it and go out and actually do that. And I really, really appreciate that. It's, that's tremendous. Um, so, so there are some things that we really didn't do well. One of the, probably the chief thing we did poorly is that we did not raise up successors, not from within anyway. And in uh, the church plant that we started in 1990 and the one that followed that when we first went to Australia, to Tasmania, is that we did not raise up 
adequate leadership within. And within five years, those churches had folded. And it, it broke our hearts. It really was, it was crushing for us. And we recognized that we had not instilled in those little groups something of the kingdom to help them to continue to grow in terms of, of sustainable leadership. We, we just didn't do that very well. They loved our leadership. And, and let me tell you, to, to lead a group of people who are happy to be led, it's like a drug. We, we enjoy it. We, 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 we're, we thrive on that. We, we're thrilled by it. But unfortunately, it does not leave a legacy that is sustainable. And we made a tremendous mistake with that. So I, let me invite you to open up the, uh, the scriptures to Matthew 28. And we're going to start at verse 16, and I just want to walk through this. The reason I'm bringing this up is in this particular passage, there's so many things that came to my mind as I thought, what, what shall I share with a new congregation I haven't spoken to before? But this is a passage that the Lord laid on my heart as a very young fellow. When I first became a believer, these verses became my life passage. Anyone here have a life verse or a life passage? Something that you kind of, you have it stuck on the fridge or it's in your mind or you, you recite it regularly, you've memorized it. These were my life verses and I had no idea at the time the impact they would have on, on my future and how much more God was going to be teaching me uh, as a result. So as, as, we, as we just unpack this a little bit, let's, let's walk through this. So starting at verse 16, it says, The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Okay, notice it doesn't say twelve. There are only eleven. Judas is out of the picture. But these eleven, Jesus said, meet me here. And in verse 17, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Now hold on, is that not a typo? Is that a mistake, folks? The men who walked with Jesus for three years, who saw him do miracles, who witnessed amazing things, who saw the dead come to life, the hungry being fed, the physically broken being healed, and they had doubts. Ladies and gentlemen, anyone here had doubts this week? Let's be honest. Why is that? The answer's right here. It says the 11 disciples. They are disciples. This is what happens when you're a disciple of Jesus. You're a real person. You're not a museum piece. You're not an object of perfection or an ideal to be gained. You're a person. And the word disciple literally means learner. We get the same word mathematics from the word disciple. Someone who's learning and growing, paying attention to a skilled master, in this case, Jesus. Now these doubts, we all have doubts, don't we? We're going to have doubts. And the thing that I really love is the way Jesus addressed this doubt. If you go to the next verse, how does he, how does he deal with it? The fact is he doesn't. He just goes on to assert his authority. All authority has been given to me. Now, folks, there's four words that's helped me over the years. Four words that have rescued me from doubt and discouragement and despair. Because if I took a step west, for every time I wanted to give up, I'd be out in Cornwall somewhere. <laughs> Seriously, so many times I just feel so defeated. But four words have helped me. It's not about you. <laughs> 
when I look to God, it's not about you. And when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, he's in a sense saying, look at me, not yourself. Because doubt and discouragement and hesitation and the struggle to, to, to try to be successful in this very hard journey of life, it's not made any easier by focusing on ourselves. Make yourself better. Let's get your eyes back on Christ. It's really about getting reconnected with Jesus, getting filled with Jesus, knowing it's about Him and His kingdom. And his, it's His mission, it's not our mission. And how beautiful it is that He encourages us with His own identity. So one of the things that we've done is not focus so much on church membership or, or trying to make good church members. Something that's really transformed us is to help people understand that they are disciples first and foremost. You are disciples of Jesus. Someone comes to faith, very first words out of my mouth, you are now a disciple of Jesus. You are a disciple of the Lord. And we are going to look in the scripture. And you're, believe me, you're going to find yourself a lot more. If we call ourselves Christians, you're going to find the word Christian in here about three times in the New Testament. How many times do we see the word disciple? Over 250 times. <laughs> That's a lot. And I think, that, I think it's like that for a reason. God wants us to identify with what it means to follow Jesus and to be a person who is committed to him and walking with him and, and obeying him. So as, as we think about making disciples, it helps a lot to, to really think these are disciples. They're not just Christians. They're not just church members. Because believe me, people can be really good church members. They might not be disciples of Jesus at all. But how powerful that he gives us this role of making disciples. And what's, who's the best role model for disciple-making? It's Jesus himself. And we go back to John 17. The whole chapter is about disciples. But in verse 4, what does he say? I have completed the work you have given me to do. Not referring to the death, burial, resurrection. That hadn't even taken place yet. He completed the work of raising up men who would then carry that work on in his absence. Do you see how powerful that is? And today, we are part of that legacy. Because if you look at John 17, verse 20, it talks about those who have come to know him through their word. You see, that legacy passes on and on. And today, we have the disciple-making legacy that we are now carrying on. It's our turn, folks. Peter's not here to do it. Paul's not here to do it. Jesus isn't here in person. You know, we're, we're, the apostles, none of them, it's our turn, folks. It's, it's, this is our opportunity. It's our turn. So Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And I love that kingdom perspective. I'm working with an organization in Europe called 2414, and we presently are cooperating with about 25 mission-sending organizations we're talking denominations, individual churches, independent churches, denominational ones. We're, we're, talking about all, we're talking about the body of Christ doing what the body of Christ is called to do. And how beautiful it is that we can work together. Because folks in heaven, there will be no walls. There won't be a section over here for Baptists and a section there for Pentecostals and a section back there for the Methodists. 
Folks, we are part of the body or we aren't. And it's so powerful for us to remember that. So as we carry on, we look at, uh, at verse, verse 19. And, and, and this is often where we start when we're talking about the Great Commission. And it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, we've heard that so many times. I know you've heard it multitudes of times. But how many, to- how many of us are actually making disciples? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because sometimes it's a little embarrassing to think, okay, I'm feeling a little under conviction here. But I do want this to be a changing day for you. This is not a command merely for the 11 because it, it, it's, it's something that Jesus has an intention for all of us to do. And all of us have the capacity to make disciples. Just like all of us have the capacity to raise children. And there are amazing parallels between raising kids and making disciples. I, I do a whole training session on that because it's, it's just very, it's so powerful to see the parallels and how God has really given us the tools internally to make disciples and to bring about uh, the, the results that, that please him with the next spiritual generation. But Jesus said, go and make disciples. Now, what was I doing as a young church planter? I was trying to build a church. I wasn't even thinking making disciples. I wasn't even on my radar. Completely not on my radar, even though this verse was such a, a foundational part of my upbringing. But as a young pastor, I wasn't thinking, hmm, how will I make disciples this week? I'm thinking, how can I, how can I develop the church? Well, Jesus had to straighten me out with that. We, we sort of did a role reversal at one point later on. And it's this very, very real. Jesus said, I will build my church. He, he will build his church. And I said, he says to me clearly, Ben, you make disciples. You see the, the role reversal. I had it the other way around. I was trying to build his church and saying, God, you know, I'll leave that disciple-making thing to you. But when we do that, we end up with a lifeless institution. It's no wonder these churches died when we started them. They, they were hanging on to a, to, a, to a form of leadership I was giving it, but it, there, there wasn't the life that sustained it from within. And I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of that. And if I, only I could go back and redo it. But how important it is to make disciples and, and allow that disciple-making process to continue within the body. And you see, Jesus didn't raise up spectators here. He, he, he's not interested in spectators and performances. He's, he's saying, go and make disciples of all nations. He is concerned about all peoples, all the peoples of the nations. And then baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the next verse says? It's teaching. Teaching them to what? To obey or observe, to obey all things. Okay, now, now I really like this part because it, it challenges me deeply. Teaching them to obey means that we're going to, to have to raise the bar of accountability. And that's something that we're sometimes uncomfortable with. But many years ago when I was first confronted with some of this stuff, I was, I was away actually at a conference many, many hours away from Australia. I was in Singapore taking this long course. And I came across this passage, and it just touched my life in such a powerful, powerful way. And I came to this realization that I've got to start doing things differently. And that really was the beginning of a, of a massive change in my life and in my ministry. Um, but, but one of the things that, that I began to think is, okay, obedience, 
accountability. We've got to raise the bar of accountability. But we're dealing with Australians in a place called Tasmania. And if anyone here knows, Tasmania was famous for the penal colonies. Many people will tell you, the locals will tell you, my grandfather came out over on whatever ship or whatever. He was, he, he was uh, brought here from, from England because he stole a loaf of bread or something. They, they, know, they know their history. They're sort of semi-proud of it. But I got to thinking, okay, on that flight back, how will I ever raise the bar of accountability when they've been so resistant to authority, resistant to, to that you know, accountability through the government or through mistreatment in the past? Folks, I found out it was like rocket fuel. <laughs> because when you raise the bar a little bit and you, and you ask people to share, how has God been at work in your life this week? How have you been obedient to Jesus through the week? Who have you shared the gospel with? Tell us a story. How have you attempted to share and maybe got shot down? People would start to open up. And the more they shared their stories, the more the level of excitement grew in the room. And these little groups, you know, these little gatherings I had of disciples, five, six, seven, eight of them, and they would be sharing. I couldn't get them settled down. They wanted to share and share and share. And I realized this is something that's missing in the body, is reporting and celebrating. Just as Paul, when he went back to Antioch, he reported and the people celebrated. He re they rejoiced. Uh, Jesus, when he sent out the 72, they came back and reported all that they had done. And Jesus lifted his hands to the Father and gave this beautiful prayer of celebration. You see, that is a pattern that we've lost in the modern day church. And it's something we certainly did not grasp until actually fairly recently. But recognizing that God's power works through demonstrating and communicating the wonderful works of of God. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came, and what did the 120 do? It says they went out, they went out to all these different people groups. All these people were hearing all, they were hearing something in their own language, the wonderful works of God. They were just bearing testimony. Testimony is so powerful. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. So as we, as we think about the work that we're doing, we've, we've got to remember that making disciples, raising disciples means asking, asking the hard questions. But with that sense of expectation that as we ask those questions, that God is already at work and there are things to be said that will honor and glorify God. So as, as, we, as we teach and train disciples, we, we keep this in mind. We also remember that sharing our faith is just, it's a, it's a part of our lives. It's a part of our lifestyle. So if you go back to Matthew 28 verse 19... The 11 are told, go therefore and make disciples, right? So here's the 11. They're making disciples. So there's, there's already, he's already thinking about the next generation, spiritual generation. And he says, then baptize them and teach them to obey all things. Now, part of those things, one of those all things is the Great Commission. We can teach them how to share their faith. So Jesus speaking to the, the 11 who are making disciples who are going to share their faith. You see, there's four generations mentioned here. And we sometimes overlook that already there's a generational pattern happening in the Great Commission. That's how the gospel flows. The gospel does not want to sit still. The gospel is made to move. It is made to move. And so sharing our faith is a lifestyle. Now, as much as we hate to hear that, 
And I know we, we, we talk about knees knocking and, and teeth chattering and thinking, oh, I'm terrified. And, and yet I loved what, uh, what our brother stood here and said that, you know, faith or courage is, is a matter of not of, of uh, uh, you know, being fearful. But if we're fearful, we go anyway. <laughs> we step out no matter what. And that's what real courage is, folks. That's what the boldness that we read in the book of Acts. That's what it's all about. It doesn't say they weren't scared. I think they were terrified sometimes. In fact, God said to Paul in Corinth, he said, don't be afraid. I have many people in this city. Don't be afraid. God doesn't say it if it wasn't happening. But he's saying, you don't need to be afraid. And that's why I think we have at the end of this passage... I am with you always to, to the end of the age. So that's, that, that is really, really important. It's, 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 um, it's powerful to know that we are not going out alone. We are going today two by two. We never send people alone. You can go talk to your mom or your sister, somebody in your circle of friends, but we go out with strangers. We don't go alone. We go together and, and we follow that model that Jesus gave us. So, so what we have here is, is really a, a, a wonderful approach for not just taking the kingdom as Jesus proclaimed it, but for ensuring that the kingdom has a legacy and that will be carried on. And how wonderful to think now that after 2,000 years, we are still here carrying it on. In the last 100 years, the percentage of Christianity has not really changed a lot in the world. It was about, it was, 100 years ago, it was about 30, 35% of the world were Christian, okay, or claimed to be Christian. Today, the, the figure is about 32, 32.5%. It's very, very close. So you might think, okay, Christianity is losing ground. No. How much has the world's population increased in that time? How many people have had to come to Christ in order to maintain that percentage that's phenomenal. Now, if only we could just push it a little farther, we can start gaining back the ground we've lost in the past. It's not too late, folks. And it's not too late at all. So Jesus, Jesus worked through faithful men and women. That's, that's, he raised up disciples so that he could equip them and send them and, and give them his authority. That's what we see in, in, uh, happening in Luke 9, Luke 10, in Mark 6, in, in, in um, Matthew 10. We see, we see Jesus literally giving them authority and saying, go now. Heal the sick, proclaim the message of the kingdom, declare your peace, find those people. And today we have an opportunity to do that. Now, we've done this a number of times before. Um, that many times when, when we, we take God's word and we really take in his word at his, at his word instead of saying, okay, here's how we're going to do it. No, we just lift the words right out of here and say, okay, let's, let's get back to the way he taught us to do this and literally go out and look for people and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey all things. When, when we start doing that, we start seeing results. Just in the last two weeks, I've had several conversations with people all over Europe that I, um, you know, I, I listen to, I work with, I've helped to train some of them, some of them have trained me, and it, it's been amazing <clears throat> to hear how God is at work. For example, in France, five years ago, we didn't know of anything significant happening in France other than some, some good solid churches, but just individual churches. We didn't really see movement beyond those four walls of those churches. But 
I've just heard that during COVID, one man, one French man, has been instrumental in helping to start over 100 house churches during COVID. You think, how does that happen? He, he reports over 400 churches in his network now. Most of them are small gatherings, face-to-face gatherings in everyday places. Nevertheless, and that's pretty huge in France, because in France, if you're a house church, you're immediately classed as a cult. <laughs> you can't be a real church if you're not in a, in a building on a Sunday morning. But look at how God is moving. Um, I, I've heard in Zurich, there are a movement of, of new churches, 19 or 20, just in Zurich alone. People are coming to faith. Most of these are, are, are people who have just become believers in the last couple of years. In, um, in Poland, over 230 people have been baptized. Uh, most of them women led to Christ by a few Polish women. We haven't heard of that for, for years and years. We're talking a predominantly Catholic country, about 97% Catholic. And yet they're coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. These people are making disciples and teaching them how to make disciples. This is happening all over Europe. It's happening throughout the world. Most of it in isolated places, however, and a lot of it in highly persecuted areas. What happens in persecuted areas? There's a lot of resistance. There's a lot of pushback. But there's a lot of cleansing. So you see there's no fluff and rubbish in in the body. It's just real life disciples really getting down to it with with no clutter. And the Lord just is causing those, those movements to blossom. And may he continue to do that. So as we, as we look over our, our own lives and we look back at ourselves and just think, well, okay, I don't think I'm adequate to do what God wants me to do. Okay, maybe he's called me to be a disciple maker, but I'm not much of a disciple maker. But I want to remind you of a verse that Jesus, something that Jesus shared with the, with the 12. It's in John chapter 14. And he says, he said, literally, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Now, I, I like that. It's like, wow, okay, I can do what Jesus did. He's, he's affirming and confirming that. But he goes on. <laughs> he will do even greater things than these because I go to the Father. Why did Jesus leave earth? If he stayed here, we would very easily let him continue it on. Just like those churches I started, those people would have let me just keep leading and leading and leading. But Jesus didn't want to just keep leading and leading. He is all about entrusting leadership and authority and the abilities of the kingdom to faithful men and women who will carry that on through successive generations. Folks, that's how the gospel got to us today. And it continues to flow that way. And right here in the heart of Bromley Central, we are a faithful group of people. What can this small group of people do in the heart of the geographically largest borough of London. You can transform this place. But it means we have to get serious about being disciples. Because it's only when you, can, when you start recognizing, I am a disciple, <laughs> that I can make disciples. You see, you, don't, you, you only reproduce who you are. <laughs> you don't re- reproduce just what you say. Okay? I, I've heard that somewhere recently. <laughs> But it's so true. And I just want you to reflect on these, these few verses here. I, I talked about the, the 11 gathering. Uh, they met with Jesus. Some were doubtful. 
Jesus addressed their doubt, and he, instead of focusing on their doubt, he, he, um, he just said, all authority has been given to me. Then he goes on to say, go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey, and to obey all things, so that that gospel will continue on and on and on. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, what, what is it that God is challenging you today? Just one thing. What's he challenging you to do differently starting today? What is Jesus challenging you to do today? Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.